0: Thank you, Whitney. Have a seat, friends. Good to be with you guys. Hey, I just want to underscore a couple of things that Whitney mentioned before we jump in here. And that is we just so appreciate the fact that you are coming to be with us. If you're, if you're able to be with us here in you know, present, and if you're online, we look so forward to you coming back and being with us. And we know that there's all kinds of, this is a strange moment. And for some of you, it feels like a risk to come. And, uh, and you're wearing a mask, and you're, you're grateful for the safety because you really are concerned about your own well-being or that of others, and we're so grateful that you would take the risk, what feels perhaps frightening to you, to come and be with us. Others are on the other side of that spectrum, and you just feel like the masks are just such a nuisance, and you don't want to have to do that. But thank you for considering others' needs as more important than your own, as together we come to worship. It goes to other seating. We're super excited. It's gotten fuller and fuller. Um, and We want to be, ironically, as full as we can possibly be. Right, And yet, with lots lots of space for social distance. And so it's so helpful to us. If small groups sit in small seats and large groups sit in large, you know, the larger rows. And I know there's a long history of Christians, a rich tradition of Christians sitting in the same pew every Sunday. (laughs) And yet, did you know that there is a stronger tradition in Christianity of considering others' needs as more important than our own? Amen. Christians have met in catacombs to worship. And I think that we can get through the, the misery of a mask and a different seat if the Christians have met. So we appreciate you're kind of stepping into that and, and walking humbly with our Lord. So we're doing a series on Jesus' I am statements. And I'm really excited about this because uh, the way that John sets it up, seven times plus one is a bonus um, he has Jesus saying, I am this, I am that, and all taken together, they form a very compelling vision of his deity. The things that he says, his, his sense of self is so outlandish, so extreme, and I think among the most familiar, maybe Jesus' statement in John 14, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think we've probably heard this one many times, it's John 14, 6. And many of us know it as a classic statement of Jesus' uniqueness. His, his There's nobody like him. He is the way, right? That's a definite article. Not a way, he's the way. It's not one of many ways, but he's the way. It's a little bit like Peter's statement in Acts 4, where he said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given to heaven, under heaven, given to men. Was that me? That might have been me by which we must be saved. And you guys, I would affirm all of that. Jesus is absolutely unique. There is no one like him. No one else lived a perfect life. No one else died in our place. No one else speaks to the Father in our defense. He is absolutely one of a kind. But I want to locate this statement back in its actual context because I think this phrase is one of the things that perhaps we have ripped off the page and turned into a bumper sticker. And I wonder when you hear that phrase, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, I wonder if you hear it, uh, if you have an image of the person to whom Jesus said it and what it was that prompted him to say it and what was the emotional state of the group of people to whom he was speaking. The context is the Last Supper, like the original, actual, first Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified. And he had been saying some very strange and very distressing things to the disciples. I'll give you just a quick sample. John 13, 33, he said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And then a moment later, he repeats that and he clarifies it. He says, well, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. To which Peter is basically offended. He's like, why can't I follow you? He's like, Jesus, I'd follow you anywhere. I would die if that's what it takes to be where you are. And, And Jesus basically says to Peter, really? Would you? Let me make a little prediction. Before the sun comes up, You're going to deny you even know who I am three times. Everybody is freaked out. What is happening? What is Jesus saying? None of this makes sense. And so he begins to speak words of reassurance to them. And the thing that I think is so absolutely extraordinary about that is that he is hours away from being crucified and he is giving, not receiving consolation. Nearly all of Jesus' disciples were older than he was. But they were like children in the shadow of his strength and love. And so he says to them, listen, 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 come here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Come here. He Cons- Consoles them in, Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going there... To prepare a place for you and if i go prepare a place for you i will come back and i'll take you to be with me that you may be where i am and then he says you know the way to the place that i am going at which point thomas is like all right all right all right all right. time out time out i i don't know the place that you're going okay do you remember you know what thomas's nickname was or what we call him doubting Doubting thomas okay i think that's kind of a raw deal And I think we should give Thomas a break. Um, Whenever he is skeptical, and he is frequently skeptical, that's a true moniker for him, but it's always because something ridiculous has happened or some outlandish claim has been made, right? he, He doubted, what did he doubt famously? The resurrection. Well, guess what, you guys? People don't rise from the dead, okay? That's big news. And he's like, ah, maybe, I don't know about that. He is, if you guys happen to speak, anybody speak Enneagram here? You guys know your Enneagram types? He would be a type five, okay? Here's what type five is. And if you don't know what this is, don't sweat it. It's this personality type thing that some people love, love, love and go crazy about. But here, here's, here's a type five. This is Thomas. It says, fives want to find out why things are the way they are. They want to understand how the world works, whether it's the cosmos, the microscopic world, the animal, vegetable, mineral kingdoms, or the inner world of their own imaginations. They're always searching, always asking questions, delving into things in depth. They, listen to this, they do not accept received opinions and doctrines, feeling a strong need to test the truth of most assumptions for themselves. If any of you guys are science buffs, it's Michael Faraday. Michael Faraday is one of the great scientific minds. We kind of credit him with most a lot of what we know about electricity, and he didn't believe any experiment that he ever heard about. He ran them all. Like if, if somebody claimed this happened, he's like, well... Science by its nature is reproducible, so let's reproduce it. Let's see it. Let's know it. That's a type five. That's Thomas. And I'm glad for people like that. I like it when people are like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is this true? Walk me through this. And that's what Thomas does. So Jesus says, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, I I don't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Right? This doesn't make any sense. What are you saying? Where I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. You're freaking me out. What do you mean Peter's going to deny you what? Is that all about? Could you please? Jesus, could you just could you stop talking in metaphors? Cuz I want to understand what it is that you're saying. And I don't think Thomas means any dis- disrespect to his lord, and certainly I don't either. But sometimes when we're under distress and we're confused and we're frustrated and we're frightened, we just need oh, I don't get it. Can we, can we back this up? And so that's really what Thomas says. And it is to Thomas in a community filled with distress and anxiety and confusion that Jesus says, and I quote, I am the way. Thomas, it's me. And if you know me, you know the way. And Thomas, you know more than you think you do. He says, yeah, there's a lot of surprising things that are coming. All kinds of stuff's about to come down. I have tried to tell you guys probably 20 times that I'm about to be handed over to the Gentiles, killed, scorned, and that I'll rise from the dead. But you just have not had the ears to hear it. But rest assured, in the midst of all of the crazy that is about to break into your world, you already have the thing that you need to get through it. It's me, and you have me. I am the way. Stay the course. I wonder if any of you have had crazy break into your world lately. Is anybody facing that thing that you're like, how did we get here? I have friends, at least two friends at Holy Spirit, who have recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer. My dad died from prostate cancer, my grandfather died from prostate cancer, and I turned 50 in three weeks, right? I'm told that 100% of men will develop prostate cancer if they just live long enough. It's an inevitability. But when it's you, it's breathtaking. I have friends here that are unemployed. Some have been unemployed since before COVID and the months stretch long. Some of you have been unemployed because of COVID, and that is a hard road to walk. You're waiting for God's provision. It has messed up your peace. It's messed up your ability to provide. You don't, you're not exactly sure what is your place in the world if you don't do what you do. It messes with your self-worth and it threatens your sense of God's trustworthiness. I have friends at Holy Spirit whose marriages are miserable. John Piper calls marriage the matrix of Christian hedonism. It means it's the context of joy. It's the locus of pleasure. And for some of you, it just isn't. Your marriage is a place of frustration and disappointment. Your spouse is deaf to your pleas. I have other friends in Holy Spirit who are weighed down, caring for their aging parents, and that can be a tough gig. It is hard to watch people that have loved you all their lives begin to fail, and you might feel Powerless. My friends at Holy Spirit that are lonely and isolated, they've suffered romantic heartbreak, miscarriages, they've been unjustly accused, they're afraid of their future, they're stuck in their present, and they just don't don't see a way out. And if Jesus were to say to you, if any of those resonate for you, you know the way through it and you were to think, no, I don't. Like, that's the point, is that I specifically do not know. Then he might also say, I am the way. And whatever you're facing, the key to infinite joy and endless happiness and durable hope is me. Nothing else will work. I think many of you know that one of my not-so-secret missions in life is to persuade, coax, induce, cajole you into reading the Chronicles of Narnia. There's just too much goodness and beauty and insight for you to not take it. They are children's books. They are easy to read, and yet they are filled with goodness. And so I'm going to share an excerpt. This is, I think, an absolutely brilliant depiction of Jesus being the way, the only way through our troubles And the reason it's brilliant is because it displays the difficulty that we often have taking that one way. I want you to notice just how scary it is. I'm going to play an audio clip for you. Actually, Josh is going to play an audio clip for you. And I just want you to settle in and enjoy the story. It's kind of long. It's four minutes. That's a long... You're you're not allowed to play a four-minute audio clip in the middle of a sermon. but. I'm doing that anyway, so we're going to. In the scene, there's a girl named Jill Pole, and she has just committed an atrocious blunder that has probably led to the death of her friend. And as a result, she is alone on a high mountain. She's in a country she does not recognize. She is scared. She is alone. She is thirsty. She has bigger problems than her thirst, but her most immediate need is that she desperately needs a drink of water. She needs a way out. She needs a way through it. But first she needs a drink. And then she sees a lion. Josh, go ahead and play that for us. A
1: lion. You're a lion. It must be a dream. It must, it must. I'll wake up in a moment.
2: The lion rose to its feet and without a glance at Jill, gave one last blow. Then, as if satisfied with its work, it turned and stalked slowly away back into the forest.
1: I do wish we'd never come to this dreadful place. I don't believe Eustace knew any more about it than I do. Or if he did, he had no business to bring me here without warning me what it was like. It's not my fault he fell over that cliff. If he'd left me alone, we would both be all right now. <laughs> oh, Eustace.
2: Crying is all right in its way while it lasts. But you have to stop sooner or later, and then you still have to decide what to do. When Jill stopped, she found she was dreadfully thirsty. She'd been lying face downward, but now she sat up. She listened carefully and felt almost sure she heard the sound of running water. There was no sign of the lion, though there were so many trees it might easily be quite close without her seeing it. But her thirst was very bad now, and she plucked up the courage to go and look for that running water. She went on tiptoes, stealing cautiously from tree to tree and stopping to look round her at every step. Jill eventually came to an open glade and saw the stream bright as glass running across the turf a stone's throw away from her. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she'd been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. (gasps) And she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion, with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it. She knew at once that it had seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment, and then turned away, as if it knew her quite well, and didn't think much of her. If you're thirsty, you may drink. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Uh, Are you not thirsty?
1: I'm dying of thirst.
2: Then drink.
1: May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? (sighs) All right. Do you promise not to do anything to me if I do come?
2: I make no promise.
1: Then, oh dear, I mean, I'm so thirsty, you see. And do you eat girls? Oh,
2: I've swallowed up. Girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms.
1: I daren't come and drink.
2: Then you will die of thirst.
1: Oh dear. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then.
2: There is no
0: other stream. If you are thirsty, you may drink. There is no other stream. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. It seems that nobody finds that true until all the things he's already added are taken away. But sometimes he causes us to hunger and to thirst so that we can learn that we can't live on bread alone, but only on him. There's a range of experiences in this room right now. On balance, we are a wealthy people, and many here don't have a particular strong sense of your need for him, because you just got so much stuff, so many distracting, consoling toys, and it all just blows by you. Others, I think, have an overly acute sense of need, and it's just excruciating. And you just want the water. You might say, like Jill, would you mind going away While I drink, which is to say, I don't want you, I just want the water. Do you recall Aslan's response when she asked that question? It's just a growl, for he's not moving. For some of us, for others, this moment, this time, this is the right moment to say, It's you. It's always been you. I need you more than I need a job. I need you more than I need a cure. I need you more than I need a responsive spouse. And if this is that moment when the distractions have faded away, the need is not so acute that you can no longer think straight, if this is that right moment that you're like, oh, it's him, It's always been him. The way that I need is him, and it's time to stop playing around. And I want to encourage you to take three steps, very practical, actionable, physical things you can do in the world. Number one, just tell somebody. Tell somebody that you trust. Tell a friend. Tell your parents. Tell me. Tell one of our staff. Tell somebody that you know who loves Jesus and say out loud to them, I need him. Tell him you have an increase. Something is... The kaleidoscope has turned and you have an awareness of an acute need of him. That you want to take some step towards the stream even though he lay on this side of it. Number two, I really encourage you, that person that you're talking to, ask them, that friend, if you can join them in something, a life group, a book club, a lunch conversation could you jump into a community of people that are already kind of made the jump and decided I will drink from the stream whatever it costs me. Can I do that with you? Because I don't know how to do it alone. Can I come to your club, do your Bible study? We have all kinds of options for that and we'd love to help you find such a community where you can do that and be part of that. And then number three, get to know the real Jesus who is alive in the pages of his book. There's a strange thing. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but the Bible is called the Word of God, and Jesus is called the Word of God. And there is something strange here that's mysterious and hard to unpack, but he's alive in the pages of his book. And I think the most, for most people throughout most of history, the way that they get to know Jesus is by spending time all by themselves, alone, reading this book that is about him. John's gospel the one from which we're drawing all these i am statements is often regarded as the best starting point it's 21 chapters long you can read the whole thing in a couple of hours or 10 minutes a day over a couple of weeks it's a biography of jesus but it's more than that because he's actually present in the book and in the community of another person in a community of in a group of persons and just alone in that book you could actually encounter him he is there waiting for you And he said in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He is the way through whatever mess you might find yourself in. He is the way to infinite happiness. Do not give way to these counterfeit paths that you might be able to purchase for yourself. And do not give way to despair that might keep you from ever going. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and all the good stuff is found in Him and He invites you to come. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we lift you up because you are the way. And I pray for those that don't yet know you or those that have maybe been teasing on the edges of you for decades that they might come, that we might all come and find in you all that we need for this world and the life to come. We love you. Amen.